Please now turn with me to 1 Peter 2. So continue preaching God's word this afternoon. And we slowly making our way through the first letter of Peter. So let's read 1 Peter 2. Read from verse 4 till 10. There we read God's word. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion. Now, in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone, the stone that the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling. And a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. Amen. So so we're making our way through the first letter of Peter. And what we've seen so far. The way Peter presents to us the, the gospel and help us in our holy living every time he comes to us and presents to us the truth that is in the gospel. We saw in the first chapter that we have been born again, and we have a living hope in Christ. But then Peter comes to us with God's command to us. Now that we know these things, now that we know that we are born again, we are to be holy because he is holy. So throughout the first chapter we see first the truth, the gospel truth, and then how we are to live. In this part of chapter 2, verse 4 till 10, we see these two things interchange, of intertwined. So we see the gospel truth, but also God's command as how we as Christians are to live. Now in this 4 till 10, we see the main thing in verses 4 till 5. So that is the main truth that we see there. And then in 6 till 10, Peter expands more and more on that and gives us the basis from Scripture, what he says to us in verses 4 till 5. Now in the first part of that uh, chapter, in verses 1 till 3, Peter used the image of a milk. We are to long for the pure spiritual milk. And now Peter moves on 
talking about a stone, the living stone. And we see here that within the gospel there are many ways which we can use metaphors to describe to us the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. That work is so marvelous for us that we cannot really explain it or describe it in one way. So the apostles use various ways to explain that to us. And so here we speak about Jesus Christ as the living stone. And Peter here now moves on from the first few verses in chapter 2 where we focus on the written word, how we are to long for the written word. We now, he moves on to the living word itself, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So all scripture testifies to Christ and of Christ. So if we accept God's word as the scriptures from God, we should accept Christ as well. We cannot accept God's word and not accept Christ in our lives. We can never separate the written word from the living word who is Christ. Peter would have well known the cornerstone, the concept of a cornerstone and what it was useful. We see in Mark chapter 13 verse 1 and 2 where Peter is marveling at the beauty of the temple and the beautiful stones that are used to create the temple. You read in that first two verses from Mark 13. And as he came out of the temple, that is the Lord Jesus Christ with his disciples, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And then Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So though here we see the temple seen as a shadow of something that is much greater, something that is much more sturdier and on which we built our hope. Our hope is in something much greater than the temple. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the living stone. So first of all, we see a few things about the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that he is a a living stone. Earlier we read in Isaiah 46, and by God's providence these things nicely tie in together. An idol is not a living idol. It is a dead figure, a dead stone, or a dead carving. The Lord Jesus Christ is a living stone. He is not cold, nor dead, but he is alive and life-giving. He cares and loves his people. However, we see that, and we see that in our time, that he has been rejected by men. So as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men. So, naturally from ourselves, we would reject the Lord Jesus Christ as well. But it's through the Holy Spirit that we have come to accept him. But Jesus also rewards his disciples that there will, will be many who will reject the Lord Jesus Christ. They will reject him. But they also will reject those who follow him. Yet despite that, despite that many reject the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he is being chosen by God. So rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He was chosen by God, his, his Father, to be the Savior of sinners. 
chosen by God, but at the same time also he is precious to God, precious to his heavenly Father. He is the beloved Son of God. And Peter has heard that on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he heard that voice, this is my beloved Son. And it's through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ that Christ regards us as precious as well. So for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, through Christ, we are precious in His sight. So in this few verses from 4 till 10, Peter presents to us Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And that is therefore the theme of this sermon, Christ the cornerstone. And we see two implications from that. So from that, as a Christian, we see what the status of a Christian is, that we are like living stones. But also, how that impacts us as Christians, that we are to proclaim the excellencies of God. And we see those two things in all this, verses 4 till 10. So we see who we are as Christians. We see that in verse 4, but also in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So we'll come to that. So in both these areas we see what we are, but also what we are to do as Christians. We see that we are to present ourselves as offer spiritual sacrifices. But also in verse 9, we are to proclaim the excellencies of him. So we see those two elements. We are like living stones, but we are to proclaim the excellencies of God. So first of all, we see what is the status of a Christian. So though we come before Christ humble and we submit ourselves to him. However, because we are united to Christ, the one who God exalted, he, God, Christ was chosen and precious. We are chosen and precious in the sight of God our Father. So the status of a Christian doesn't depend on who we are, on our own status, on your own skill, on your own wisdom, or the good works that you have done. Now, our status depends on the status of Christ. He is the one who is chosen and precious in God's sight. So as we are joined and united to Christ, He is our rock. So if you believe in Him, you will not be put to shame. And here Peter uses words from Isaiah 28 verse 16, where we read, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be be in haste. So Peter used these words and says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you trust in him as the cornerstone, you will not be put to shame. So Christ is the foundation. Now the cornerstone was the one stone that was put first in place. It has to be square and true. Otherwise the rest of the building will not be square and true. So it all depends on that cornerstone. And Christ is our foundation. He is the living stone. He is alive, risen from the dead. 
and we built on him. So here, Peter focused on this precious cornerstone. He does so to rejoice in the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to show what place we have because we stand on that cornerstone. What place you as a Christian has because you are united to Christ. It says in verse 7, So the honor is for you who believe. So we have that same high exalted status because we are united in Christ. But in contrast, we see for those who do not accept the Lord Jesus Christ, for those who do not believe in him, who have maybe their own pride or stand in their own feet, trust in themselves. Those ones, they who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But then it continues, they stumble because they disobey the word. So their pride is no refuge. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that rejection that we see here, we see in the Lord Jesus when he was on earth as well. And he spoke of them, of that himself, when he spoke about the parable of of the tenants, where they killed the son to inherit. And there, in that parable, Jesus speaks about the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone. And that same quote that we see here, So cornerstone, chosen and precious. Chosen by God, precious to God. Peter, he understood this. Maybe not while he was with the Lord Jesus, but in Acts 4 we clearly see that he understood that the Lord Jesus Christ is this cornerstone that is mentioned. We read in Acts 4, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. But there is no other name under heaven given by men, given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ who is our cornerstone. Although Jesus was killed, this was not a defeat for the Son of God. But it's God's plan of salvation. As God raised him from the dead, exalted him. And hence accepted his offer for our sins. So have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you building your life on the foundation that is Christ? But for those who are in Christ. And we read in verse 9. There is this word, little word but. So we see a change. But for those who are in Christ. For those who trust in Christ. They are precious. And Jesus is precious to the Father. And from these verses from Scripture, it is clear to us that God has chosen the Lord Jesus Christ to accomplish the plan of His salvation. Scripture from the Old Testament testifies to us of the plans and purposes of God in our salvation. But also testifies the fact that man will reject the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those who believe, we accept him as our saviour. And the implication for that for us is if we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, that we ourselves become living stones. 
And we see that in verse 5. So you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So we are living stones. And new stones are being added together. And these living stones, they grow together into a holy temple of the Lord. Want to read from you a few verses from Ephesians 2, where Paul, the apostle, speaks in a similar way about the temple and being built up together. So read from you Ephesians 2, verse, from verse 17 till 22. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here Paul speaks about that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And Peter used the same imagery over here. We are built up as a spiritual house. And what we see here, that spiritual house, the dwelling place of God, is an image that we see from the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. In the Old Testament we see about the tabernacle, which was in the midst of the people of Israel. And in the tabernacle, that is where the Lord of hosts dwelt. God dwelt among them in the tabernacle. And in the New Testament, the temple was a picture of God's presence. Today, Christ is within the church. We are the holy temple of God. So the true temple is Christ's body. We all united together as living stones, built together as a spiritual house. We are united in Christ, living stones built together. And although we are growing individually, each of us grow in our own faith in our walk in holiness before God. But also, we feed upon the word as a body of Christ. Corporately, we grow as well. And we assemble to worship as a body of Christ. The whole church is the temple of God. The writer of the Hebrews, again, speaks of that image as a corporate body, coming together and being built up as we meet for worship on the Lord's day. There we read from Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another. To love and good works. To stir up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we see here in this um, two verses, but the way Peter writes about it is the corporate language. We are together a body of Christ, a body of believers. So the church therefore becomes the true house of God 
the body and bride of Christ. So Peter already mentioned these great blessings that as a Christian you have. Standing before God, you are living stones. But then he expands on many other things as well. He mentioned that we are the spiritual house, but also a holy priesthood. And later on, talks about in verse 9, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Each of these great benefits we have because we are united in Christ. So we are a holy priesthood. Now here Peter moves on from being the building ourselves as we are being built together. But also each of us working in the building. We are holy in the sight of God. And we are set apart, useful for his service. We are, we see in verse 9, a royal priesthood. God made a covenant with the people of Israel and has redeemed them from the, from the land of Egypt, saved them from the house of slavery, to be a holy nation, to be a kingdom of priests. They, the people of Israel, had priestly access to God through the, the priest. The priest intercedes for them, and they had access to God. And in the tabernacle, God dwells among them. Through Christ, we have direct access to our Heavenly Father. We don't have priests as the people of Israel, as Christ has fulfilled that. But through Christ, we have direct access to the Lord Jesus through our Heavenly Father. And also, we are a royal priesthood. Paul speaks about that as well in Ephesians 2. He said, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Peter then goes on, we are a holy nation. We are holy because God is holy. Israel was to be a holy nation. There was a promise to them, they were set apart, but also a command that they were to live holy. They had to offer their lives as spiritual sacrifices to God. We'll come back to that later in our second point, that we are to be holy ourselves. We are to be a holy nation. Now God in his election is not limited to time and space or race or um, people. He is the whole nation. Every nation is coming together into this holy nation. So those who are united in Christ, if you have Christ as your Savior, you are joined together in this holy nation set apart for God. And then also we have... We are being called a chosen race. Now in today's culture this language seems difficult and troublesome. You may be um, accused of being a racist, mentioning that, indicating there is superiority in one race above the other race. However, it's important to note here how Peter speaks about this. It speaks about a chosen race, not a choice race. But it is a chosen race. So the heart of the covenant, and what we see here, is God's electing love. And that was needed to be heard by those who Peter writes to, those who were scattered around. And as much as it was needed to be heard by those Peter writes, so much do we need to hear that. We have been chosen by God through Christ. 
So now God's election is often questioned because it is not understood or hated because it is understood. However, this can only be received in faith. And the wonder here is that God chose any of us at all. No one has any ground for pride in ourselves that we were chosen by God. We see that in various places in Scripture, both the New Testament and the Old Testament, especially in Deuteronomy 7, where Moses speaks to the people of Israel and tells them that they had nothing in themselves why God has chosen them. They were not a great nation, a powerful nation, a nation very greatly skilled. No, it was because God loved them. So God loves, or the Lord loves, because he loves And the language of God's love in Scripture is fantastic. In the Old Testament, we have all these imagery, how God loves his people. We see some of that this this morning, how we are on the shelter of the Lord's wings. But also in the Old Testament, we see images that God bears them on his shoulder. He carries them in his arms. He engraved or holds them in his hands. He seats them at his feet. All this image that God loves us. It is not because we love him that he loves us, but because he loves us. So though this election, everyone is chosen in a vigil, but that comes more to being visible really in God's church as we come together to worship him as a body of believers. Believers are forged together into a family. And hence Peter here speaks about a chosen race, not a chosen individually or a saved individual, but we are as a body together, forged together into the body of Christ. And then finally, in verse 9, we are a people for his own possession or a prized possession of God. God loves and treasures his children. God receives the glory because he loves us. And as we give him praise, he receives glory. Because he is the one who transforms us that we come to glorify him. And all that is for his own glory and and pleasure. Because we are his prized possessions. So all this has implication for us as a church. It means that church fellowship is not an optional advantage. Something that we can choose or even ignore. It is the calling of every Christian to come together and to be part of that body of Christ. We are living stones. We are being built together as a spiritual house. And God dwells in our midst. So is that great truth? that we hear from Peter here as we are being built on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. But then Peter goes on what we are to do as Christians. We are therefore to proclaim the excellencies of God. So we see in here, as I mentioned, Peter comes with the truth first and then after what we are to do. So we are holy and hence we are to live holy. So Peter gives us the truth in the gospel and then he gives us instructions of our lifestyle. 
that we may serve for the glory of God, that we may be offer ourselves up to offer spiritual sacrifices and proclaim the excellencies of God. So first of all, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now in the Old Testament, we had various sacrifices. Those have all been um, fulfilled in Christ. But we now offer ourselves as a spiritual sacrifice in how we are to live before him. We present ourselves entirely to God. Paul writes in the same vein to us in Romans 12 verse 1 and 2. There Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A holy of living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And how does that be, become visible? Say, by do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and per- perfect. So we are to present ourselves as sacrifices to God as we look through other passages in scripture we see a great parallel between us offering spiritual sacrifices and us coming to God and praising him for what he has done for us in Hebrews 13 verse 15 we read through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise To God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So as we come together in the worship service, we praise him. We praise him for what he has done. In the Old Testament, the the sacrifices were ceremonies of worship and glorifying God. As I mentioned, Christ fulfilled those bloody sacrifices. They are not needed anymore, but the worship still remains. We dedicate our lives to God with the confession of our lips. That is continued in verse 9. That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To proclaim the excellencies. The excellency here can be translated as the praiseworthy deeds of God. Or God's mighty deeds. So as we praise him. And we see that many ways in the Psalms. We praise God for who he is and for what he has done. It is not just thanksgiving, but it's praising God who delivered us. So worship remains a central calling to all Christians and the church. However, the core of our worship is not just receiving, but it is giving our praises to God. To lift up his name, his mighty deeds, all that he has done for us. And our praises then to God should bear a witness to those around us. As we come together to worship God, that is a missional activity. As people around you may see us gathering together, we witness to others and tell about what God has done. That same we see in Psalm 96. And we often use that as a call to worship for us. But we see, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. 
Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. So that is what we as Christians have to do. Tell out of his marvelous works that he has done among all the peoples. So our light should shine in this world. The way we live, we should be a light that through what we do, others might see that God works in us. And through our good deeds, they may give glory to the Lord, who is the source of all our good deeds. So, we are once in darkness, but now we are in the light. We are called to walk in the light and to testify to Christ the light of this world. In verse 10, Peter again gives us this marvelous summary for us. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, Peter here reminds us, again, what we have been made in Christ and what we have received in Christ We were not a people, now we are God's people. He made us his people, we are his. But also we have not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. It shows the wonder and the wealth of our salvation in Christ. Sin destroys all things in our lives and it alienates us from our heavenly Father, that perfect relationship that was present in the Garden of Eden has been destroyed by sin and by Satan. But also the relationship between people has been destroyed. But all of this has been changed through Christ. The relationship between us and God has been restored. We can now come to God, our Father. But also we are now forged together as a body, the bride of Christ. A people chosen by God, living stones. So in Christ we have everything. If you come to Christ you may have lost things, earthly things. You may have lost possessions, friends or family. But for those who have received mercy from Christ... They have received everything. And we see that in Romans 8 verse 32. We read that this morning together. So we read there. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In Christ we have all things. So if you have Christ, you have all things. But if you don't have Christ, if you lack him in your life, although you may be rich, you have nothing of lasting value. Mark speaks to us about that in Mark 8. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So if you are in Christ, then you have everything. Before the start of the service, our call to worship was taken from Isaiah 12, verses 5 till 6, where we are being called to sing praises to the Lord. We'd like to end 
this evening by reading the first six verses of that chapter, Isaiah 12. Which even the Old Testament speaks about to us about Christ. You read in Isaiah 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. But though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And this Holy One of Israel is Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. We build on him. He is in our midst. And because of that, we sing praises to him. And we proclaim the excellency of his name. So I urge you, trust in him and rejoice. Because he is your salvation and your God. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Father, we thank you for Christ, your chosen one, the one who is precious in your sight, yet you have given him to us, that he is our salvation. Lord, help us to trust in him and to live before him. Amen.